from Relay FM. This is Downstream, a podcast about the present and future of streaming media. This is episode number 60, recorded December the 28th, 2023. I am your master of ceremonies, Jason Snell, and with me as always is Julia Alexander, Director of Strategy at Parrot Analytics. Hi, Julia. Hey, Jason. How are you? Pretty good. Do you have a good holiday? It was pretty good. It was surrounded by good family, good friends, good food. So all around good. How about yours? Yeah, yeah. My it was my uh, wife and our kids, and you know the pets, and uh, we did a whole Christmas thing and made some made some favorite dishes, and you know that's that's what it's all about. Exactly. And and amazingly, we are here in this uh, week, the classic week between Christmas and New Year's, but. We do a podcast every other week, and you know we got a sponsor this week, so we're going to do a podcast. Um, and uh, but I want to start with a really nice piece of anonymous follow up from one of our listeners who is apparently on the inside and can tell us about our question from last time, which is why was there this big story about how much work they had to do to get Hulu content into Disney Plus, given that Star overseas has been had its content in the Disney Plus app for ages now. Uh, so somebody on the inside said, "Here, here's the question. Because it was like, oh, we had to change all the artwork and all that. And we were mm-hmm, like, okay, mm-hmm. what's the actual work here? Because didn't you already do it? And here's the answer. Yes, Star International has some of the content. And for that, we were able to use the artwork directly. But it's only about one third, if not one quarter of Hulu. So the rest had to be created. Sorry, international folks. Hulu is so much bigger than Star. Great perspective. And there's your answer, which is there's way more stuff in Hulu than there is in Star. And so they had to do a lot of work to bring the Hulu content into Disney+. Plus. That's, That's so interesting. You know what? I guess that makes sense with the licensing, right? Because Star, everything that's on Star for the most part is owned, it's by, owned Disney. by Disney. Yeah. So, and then on Hulu, yeah. <clears throat> when I was looking at the beta, there was like a really interesting aspect. I think we talked about it last time, but you know the fact that there is like a Nickelodeon hub, right? Which Disney does not own, but is very important to the audience that comes to. Um, Hulu to yeah. really integrate some of that. Yeah, you think about, oh, right, they wouldn't have to worry about that necessarily on Star. So it's very interesting. Yeah. So that answers the question. That's why it was a lot of work to get Hulu into Disney Plus. It's much larger. There's more stuff. They had to convert all the image assets. And we get it. So thank you to our anonymous listener who's on the inside, I assume. We need a we need a new a new jingle, Jason. We need like uh you heard it here first. Yeah, the anonymous anonymous informant uh has spoken. <laughs> So, uh, so thank you, Anonymous. Now, on to our first and our big topic, I think, which is what will happen. I mean, we're, as we're as we're here, right at the end of the year, what will happen next year to Paramount Global? Um, a lot of developments on this since we last spoke. I think when we last spoke, we already knew that Sherry Redstone was talking to uh, to. Larry Ellison's kid, and it's like mm-hmm. Skydance and Redbird and coming in and buying National Amusements, which is the holding company, which would give them control over Paramount Global while not being the like the owners. They're like the owners of the holding company. It's fascinating how it's set up. But um, what we've got in the last couple of weeks is the story about our buddy Zaz. David Zaslav talked to uh, Bob Bankish, who's the CEO of CBS. Mm-hmm. Or of Paramount Global now, right? It was at CBS and now it's Paramount Global. Um, 
And they were discussing an acquisition, which I found hilarious because, one, we know because of the weird trust that's involved, the Zaz can't buy anything until, like, April. Yeah. And two, Bob, uh, you know, Bakish can't sell Paramount. He, he, Sherry Redstone's the one who decides what gets sold or not. And I, I looked at it and I was like, well, this is like somebody firing a flare gun being like, hey, we're interested Mm-hmm. Um, which I feel like is also exactly what we would have expected after that first story came out, because that felt like it was Sherry Redstone saying, I'm being courted. Who else would like to court me? And then you get Zaz talking over here where it's like, does it, I mean, it's not like advanced talks are happening between Warner Brothers Discovery and Paramount Global. Cause right. it's not like the, the, that's not the room where it happens. I don't know. There's, it feels very much like. A an inorganic way of getting a feeding frenzy to start. Is that yes. about right? I think you're spot on. Um, once again, Jason kills with the summaries Boom. of stories that have like so many different plot developments. And I work part time at Puck News and we have like four people at this point dedicated to just almost talking exclusively about this across Matt Bellany, Dylan Byers, Bill Cohen and myself sometimes. And even then I'm like, what's yep. happening with this? What's the next turn? So great summary, Jason. Um, I think – there's two obvious things that are happening here. One is what Jason alluded to, which is the flare gun. I love that analogy. And what the flare gun really says for someone like Sherry is I'm trying to sell this as a whole. Like I'm trying to sell the mm. empire and I want to sell it to someone who can buy the empire. This gets really difficult for reasons Jason and I will get into in a second, yeah. including from a regulatory perspective, from a debt load perspective, um, from a pure – need versus want perspective. Uh, But the other thing that's really going to start playing out, um, my colleague at Puck, uh, Bill Cohen, had a really great newsletter on this just this past week in his dry powder newsletter. He spoke about the fact that the NDAs are effectively going out from all these investment bankers, right? So effectively, Paramount is saying you can come get a look under the hood. Right. If you want to come see, you're going to sign a big NDA. You're going to come look at it. You'll get your investment bankers on it, et cetera, et cetera. And at this point, if you're working in the entertainment industry, you do want to see what's under the hood for a few yeah. reasons. One, you want to see are these assets something I'm I'm actually interested in, right? If you're Brian Roberts over at Comcast, that might be something that you actually are interested in. Obviously, David Zaslav, where there's the feeling of there might be actual interest in Paramount. But even if you're Bob Iger at Disney, if you're just interested in seeing what's happening with Pluto TV as a fast option, when you're seeing what's happening with Paramount Plus, when you're seeing some of these other aspects as you think about your own business, not that he's going to follow that strategic pipeline, but he, you are naturally curious. And the NDA does not necessarily entail mean that you have to go and buy something. What it will do is kick off another frenzy from the media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's which is kind of the I mean, if Sherry Redstone has decided that she's going to sell, this is how, she wants the word out and she wants everybody kicking the tires. And she that's what that's what the purpose is, because then if you can get some bidders, which is a question mark. Right. But if you could get some bidders who want to buy the whole thing, that's the best. You know, you did do some analysis about other ways that this could go. And the idea of um does it sell as a whole? I feel like it's it's going to get split up. I have a hard time believing. I guess it's possible that it might be entirely kind of bodily uh, consumed by one organization. But it feels to me like it's probably worth more in pieces than it is uh, because of the regulatory issues, which you alluded to there. The idea that there are some potential buyers who don't want CBS 
because they already have a broadcast network and there's no way they would be allowed to have two. So they would have to cut it up themselves. And so maybe it's easier if you just sell that part separately because CBS does have a lot of value. It just is a no-go for some of the potential bidders. And when you start to kind of like take the pieces apart, you realize it probably does have more value in pieces. Sherry Redstone doesn't want to be the one to cut it up, though, I think is is part of the challenge here. So you end up in this weird situation where everybody's kind of circling, but some of the people who are circling, I think, would then presumably would buy it and then start taking the pieces apart. Exactly. The way that I view Paramount is that it is made up of a bunch of tiny different assets, or not tiny, quite quite significant in size, that are worth different things to different players. So if I am Netflix, for example, or if I am Warner Brothers Discovery, or if I am Apple, for various reasons, CBS and CBS Studios is interesting is interesting to me from a content standpoint, but not from a news standpoint. So now I have to do a couple things. Now I have to say, well, how valuable is having those titles in that library from something that we can add to our own platform to something that we can license as pure revenue generation? That's pure profit revenue, excuse me, pure margin revenue that comes in. That's fantastic. Um, but I have to get rid of CBS and I have to find someone to sell CBS to. I also have to be aware of who I'm selling CBS to because that is where the FTC is really going to get involved because now we're talking about a news source, a quite significant news source that's in, you know, 150, 200 million homes. So that's one issue. Paramount Pictures comes with a lot, right? The very iconic Paramount lot where they can right. shoot a lot of films. They can use that uh, real estate as another way to generate other additional revenue. If I'm looking at BET or Nickelodeon, you know, Nickelodeon might be useful. I say this in a recent piece I wrote, in my opinion, less so to a Warner Brothers Discovery or Disney because they have their own kids brands, but that's not really the competition. The competition is YouTube. So I think YouTube would actually be a great acquirer of something like Nickelodeon because now they can just bring it to their platform directly or they can license it out, whichever one it is, but they can use this to continue building this additional revenue and building up this kind of attention uh, uh, monopoly that they have with kids content. So across all these different boards, these various pieces are worth more than the sum of its parts to all these different players. So you're actually likely to generate more revenue off of these individual asset sales than you are as one giant sale. And then that gets even more to the point when we look at the level of debt that comes with a full acquisition of Paramount Global. And so when I look at the M&A activity around what Cherry Redstone has, the big question is, are the regulators going to allow it? And to what Jason said, it gets really complicated with news. It gets really complicated when we start looking into the effect that it could have on negotiations with creatives. And that's where the FTC can come in and say it's not only just anti-consumer, but it's actually anti-labor in a lot of ways. And so we're trying to figure that situation out. Um, the one advantage from a regu regulatory standpoint that Paramount will have in this is that Paramount's not doing great. And so we actually have a lot of executives, including um, Liberty Media uh, Chairman John Malone, who's been a longtime uh, mentor to David Zaslav, mm -hmm. really hinting at this in an interview with CNBC a few months back, saying, you know, a company could go bankrupt and that can make it a lot easier or close to it, right? They could be in a point of such financial solvency that the FTC or other regulatory bodies can't say no because there's no longer a form of competition aspect to it. It's a company going in and taking a company off, you know, off life support almost. And so that then bodes well potentially for Paramount in terms of its ability to sell as a whole. But I just think 
if there was significant interest in Paramount as a unified entity, we would see it reflected in the stock price. We would see the stock increase because people want to get the higher stock before it eventually sells and right. get their payout. But we're actually seeing a decrease. And so what that says to me and what that says to other analysts is that there's no one really serious about this purchase yet. And I do think it's only a matter of time before these companies go through and either Paramount and Sherry Redstone says we're not going to take a lowball offer from whether, whether it's David Ellison over at Skydance, whether it's David Zaslov, wh- whatever David <laughs> ends up being, uh, it, it's it's I think it's okay. We're not going to take a lowball offer, so now we have to look at selling the various parts of the Viacom CBS kind of corporate entities. Even though that would be against the wishes of Sumner Redstone, who's Sherry's father, who there's this very strong attachment to the Paramount Global brand. She doesn't want to be the thing or the reason that her father's legacy is kind of torn to bits, for lack of a better term. And so there is this almost succession-like aspect Mm. at play here, really, with the death of kind of a Logan. What do the kids do in order to kind of figure out what to do next with this company? And much like in succession, they have to figure out a way to retain their source of power, but also their source of legacy and their source of of profitability. And I think that's still going to come down to a parts-by-part sale and not as, again, one unified source. Yeah, Sherry Redstone's an interesting character in a lot of ways, but she has successfully sort of like, she got what she wanted and then and then the vagaries of the business, she now is in a position where it, it, she she probably should have not gotten what she wanted and just sold, but there is this, you're right, her, her dad built this business. I do wonder when push comes to shove if she is given the option of selling it to someone who's going to carve up her father's empire and make a profit on that or make the profit herself if Mm -hmm. she will choose to like if she'll have that moment of realization of like look it's going to get carved up. I don't have an option to not carve it up. So I'm going to carve it up myself and get the most money. Or whether she would rather do like the Skydance Redbird thing. It feels very much to me like, you know, we'll we'll take it off your hands. And then our our profit is going to be in, in, in taking the pieces and selling them. So maybe Sherry Redstone right. does that herself. But it does, it, it does seem hard to imagine that Paramount Global, as we view it right now, uh, will will make it on its own. That You know, is the... I want to ask you, is the Fox-Disney model a a pretty, at least decent, potential model here? Because what happened in that case is most of the Fox assets went to Disney, but the broadcast network didn't, the news organization didn't, the sports didn't. Instead, it Mm. it was the IP and the studio and the cable channels in that case, but not broadcast and not Fox News and Fox Sports. Um, and that that's an example of saying, you know, we can still have a business here that's based on traditional linear TV and you don't want it because in this case, they or you already have one. You have ABC. So we're going to keep this over there. Is this, are we looking at something maybe similar to that where there's sort of a, a you know, CBS and some associated things go kind of off in one direction and then the studio and the intellectual property all go to a, a, a more interested buyer? Because again, there I feel like there are more buyers out there for the intellectual property and the studio than there are for CBS, the TV network. 
Yeah, and I would say that CBS was the highest rated network 15 years running. It remains the highest rated network. They've got strong ad revenue coming in from it. Um, One of the key aspects of this deal that Jason touched upon earlier that we should really reiterate is the fact that this would come with an NFL deal for the next uh, several years. And so that is a great it is a is one of the only growing sports in terms of audience from a pure viewership perspective, right? It is the last kind of American monolith in terms of culture, and therefore it is a strong revenue driver. Um, there's also, you know, Pluto TV. Is that a, is that something that any of these guys are really interested in, in pursuing? And so I think it's a really fascinating concept, Jason. I think there's absolutely a world in which you could say. What if we spin off the company, right? And we're going to package CBS kind of by itself, almost like what happened with Viacom and CBS back in what was it, 2006 when they first split up, right? And we could have this idea of CBS is going to go this way and it's just going to be a broadcast channel and the cable channels are maybe packaged off with it and then the streaming and the studio that gets to someone else. But I think the question then still comes down to Sherry. I think it's, does she part with it or does someone else come in and part with it themselves? And I think that question then comes into, well, who are the regulators going to allow to purchase it? And the regulators might actually make that distinction themselves, right? They might say, you can't own it, but if you come in and buy it, you got to spin it off, in which case these companies are like, sure, happy to do so. Mm -hmm. But then the question becomes, okay, are they also spinning off the NFL or do those NFL rights transfer to another network? Can WBD say – Fine, we'll spin off CBS. We don't really want CBS. That's fine. But, we're taking but we really, but we want to put the NFL yeah. rights on, you know, Bleacher Report, Sports on Max, or whatever it's called now, right. and TNT or whatever it is. And that's where I think it gets really complicated. But I think as more of these NDAs start to get signed by a lot of these companies and strong reporters in this world, the you know, like Matt Bellany, Joe Flint, Lucas Shaw, as they start doing a lot more digging into this, I think we'll start to see how those potential deals could be structured. But I think the biggest real um, a- asset in this conversation is – CBS also has strong reach, right? Like there's 200 million homes. If you're a streamer, there's a really great place to put some of your content out there, right? And just kind of without – you don't have to program new content. You're collecting – you're just putting on a different different distribution platform and collecting ad revenue on it and you're using it for football whatever else it might be. And so I think if you look across the board, it's CBS as a network. It's CBS and CBS Studios as a catalog. It is Paramount Pictures as both a – brand as an IP factory and as a real estate play in terms of the lot. You know, those are actually probably the three biggest because if I'm a buyer, the first thing I do is shut down Paramount Plus, right? Like I bring the the subscribers over to whatever I have, but I shut it down. Pluto TV is kind of interesting. Maybe I keep that running for a little bit. Depends if you've got your own fast thing or not, right? I think think it is interesting if you don't don't already have your thing. Look, I I get why Zaz Zaz had lunch with Bakish, right? Like I get it because – Okay, so we we've been talking about Zaz the whole run of this thing that we do here, um, and he's a fascinating guy, and he had a lot of you know he he was a hero and then he was a villain and you know he, all of these things. It's what a rich tapestry of a story about that guy over the last year or two. But I would say this: if he, we 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 have talked about his end game, and there there is the he is improving cash flow and he's making very unpopular cuts, but he's trying to do it in order to get. Um, a lot of people out there who do not pay attention to this stuff still sort of view him as this villain of a uh, who's who's slashing things 
uh, left and right, but the, the, the ship is sinking, when in fact, he's actually been somewhat successful at getting mm-hmm. the cash flow going and in kind of improving things. However, at the end of it, the question is, what is Zaslev's ultimate goal? Right. Is his ultimate goal to turn WBD into a vessel that is going to be a major competitor in the entertainment world, or is his goal to sell to one of the giants? And if his goal is not to sell out, CBS is perfect for him because WBD doesn't have a broadcast network in the U.S. It gets him a huge amount of content for Max and those broadcast platforms where he can put uh, all the WBD content. It's actually a great fit. But if his goal is to sell to Comcast in a year or two, it's just going to kick the can down the road because you're not going to be able to put NBC and CBS together. So I think that there's an existential question here, which is like WBD seems like a perfect fit because the streamers, you know, Netflix doesn't want to own CBS either. Apple and Amazon don't want to own CBS. They don't want to own broadcast channels. They would need to cut CBS out. WBD could just take it and be happy, except if they're trying to combine with Comcast in a year or two. Yeah, and I think that touches upon the bigger issue at play with a company like Warner Brothers Discovery, which is in the C-suite, you have incredibly astute and talented operators from a sense of revenue building. If you look at their kind of history with Zaslav coming up, I mean, he came up to an extent through the cable world. I mean, not to an extent, that's how he came up through. He kind of knows the Paramount world a little bit. You've got Gunnar in the CFO spot. He comes from the McKinsey world. They're very good at cutting costs. They're very good at saying, here's how we're going to trim down what we need to trim in order to achieve at a place that's really great for our shareholders and for our our company in terms of profit. There's no one that can doubt that um, even though if we actually look at the revenues since they have migrated Discovery Plus content into HBO Max or now Max content, it's actually gone down a little bit. So that's interesting. We should take a look at that in the new year for this podcast. But there's no question that they're good at cutting and they're good at saving. But now the question is, what are they building? Are you trying to build this global streaming operator? It doesn't seem like that anymore because they're really pulling back on some global um, uh, streaming cap- uh, capabilities in order to kind of license, which I don't think is a bad decision. I think others will follow suit. Um, but I do think it's a question about what are they trying to build. Then there are questions about, okay, if you're just trying to sell to NBC Universal, what do you need to offer them that they don't kind of already have? We know that NBC Universal and Comcast now have $9 billion at least in their pockets coming from the, the Disney Hulu deal. So that means that there is room for Comcast to kind of go and explore a potential acquisition of something. They also can carry a stronger debt load because their revenues are just much higher, their market cap is higher. But I do think for lack of a better way to put this, scaling for the sake of scaling is just stupid, right? Like there's like there's no reason to just keep adding if you can't actually do anything meaningful with those assets. Now, to be clear, the play could be we think Young Sheldon is very popular. We know it's popular. We see the ratings. We don't think it's going to be as popular on Max in the next five, six years because we're still building that base. We know it's going to be very popular uh, and very important to a company like Netflix because they have the scale in order to, to kind of take some of these licensed titles and make them hits again. You have Ted Sarandos, who's the co-CEO of Netflix, saying this. And so we're just going to take a bunch of these CBS-type titles, these Paramount titles, that routinely appear on Nielsen's top 10 weekly list. We're going to take these and we're just going to... 
uh, license them to Netflix continuously. We're going to take these from the sale. We're going to try to create strong revenue off of licensing all these different titles across the board while we build up Max. Maybe. It's not, it's not a bad play. It's like, okay, you've got a lot more content to license out. It's a licensing game. That makes a ton of sense as you build out Max. But if the goal is to take a lot of this content and create a very strong streaming service off of licensed content, purely licensed content, without the originals that still kind of bring those audiences in, we look at Netflix's top 10, sure, there's a lot of licensed fare on there, but there's also a ton of original content. If we look at the split of uh, the the, da- the data dump that Netflix did a couple of weeks ago, 55% was original content, 45% was licensed fare. Strong showing from license, but still equally important show from from originals, especially in international countries where we know that more than 75% of Netflix's new subscribers are coming from. And so all of these different stats really play into this idea of what's the point of Paramount? There's We, we know the CBS play. We know the NFL play. Mm-hmm. We know the Paramount Pictures and the Paramount um, Studios IP play. But everything else... Do you need to buy the entire company for that? And if you're Warner Brothers Discovery and you're already carrying around $45 billion worth of debt, do you need to take on the additional debt load? Right. Oh, you're looking at probably about $15 billion, extra, uh, $15 billion additional debt um, that you're going to be bringing on. And if you do that, how much are you cutting to really pay off some of that sale versus how much revenue are you actually going to bring in? Now, they've got ex-investment bankers and ex and ex-consultants who are going to run every single scenario that they can possibly think of to figure out what's the way to achieve profitability on this in what time frame they would have to do it how that would come flow down to the consumer so therefore what are you paying for max what does that lifetime value have to be depending on that churn rate all these questions will come into play you know how much can they license out these series for the series that are Three seasons versus six seasons versus 10 seasons all have different forms of payment uh, when you're licensing out. So they'll do a lot of this analysis to kind of figure out if it makes sense to do it as well as the bankers that they bring in. But I really think there needs to be this question of the financials will tell you one story and it's a very important story. It's 70% of the story. But the other 30% of the story is what is the strategic move? What is the creative move that you're going to do with a lot of these assets to really stand out? And how important is the content versus the platform, right? We know with Netflix, it's the platform. We know it is because when we bring license fair to Netflix, it does well. So do original series. When we look at some of the license fair on other platforms, like we don't really know how much, for example, um, New Girl, I guess that's owned by Fox. It's a bad one. But like, let's say like, you know, New Girl was being licensed out to Hulu or whatever it is. You know, how much is that doing for Disney versus how much is it doing or, or for Hulu how, than versus what it was doing for Netflix? Like we don't actually right. know. And I think the lack of information there is one concern. And I think that is why you'll see a lot of these companies sign the NDAs because they'll kind of be able to peek under the hood. And be like, actually, what is the performance difference here? Like, how can we get a better understanding of the value of content heading into 2024 or 2025 when we don't have a lot of um, strong looks into this this field? So I think eventually and almost inevitably, Paramount will sell. How Paramount sells is the big question. Even less so to me – sorry, sorry, even more so to me than to who it sells – for I like to who it sells for says something about the buyer obviously and what they're trying to do I think how it is sold says a lot about the value that we're placing on brand versus content versus platform and I think that speaks levels more about how a lot of the executives in this industry are viewing 
what they need in order to kind of uh, accelerate their own businesses, whether they decide to create content and be kind of supplier, to continue being a DTC distributor, to be a totally different player altogether. Um, so that's kind of how I think. But do you have any bets, Jason, on who it goes to, if it goes to someone, or how it sold? Oh, um before I make a bet, I will I will say I do wonder if in the end if they are not satisfied with the potential options, if they will instead – I can see a scenario at least where Paramount Global folds Paramount Plus and sells off the content, like licenses the content and says we're going right. to go be a content arms dealer like Sony – Rather than continue to play this, but that that we've done the numbers, and it turns out that having our studios and CBS and, and you know various content delivery mechanisms plus licensing revenue from all other streamers, we actually think that that's a better business going forward. It seems like the forces that drive consolidation will 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 override something like that. But I I do wonder if that is a a scenario as well, which is like let's just get out. We tried this; it doesn't work. Let's get out of this business. It um, would be smart. More more of these companies are going to have to sh- shut down their streaming businesses or at least scale f- way, way back. I don't know enough about the – I don't know enough about the financial details is the thing right. to know exactly. Like you look at the size of the debt that – like you mentioned it for, for um, Warner Brothers Discovery. Like having just had this company put an enormous amount of debt in the transaction to merge Warner Brothers with Discovery, um, to do it again – and then expect that that will then be swallowed by someone else, presumably, is asking a lot. And yet I know that there are very smart financial people inside these companies who say, yeah, but actually, if you pencil it out, it makes sense. We should do it. And, mm-hmm. and so they may, they may pay. What I want to say here, and then maybe this is just a shot in the dark, but my shot in the dark is going to be the, the, the News Corp strategy, which is whether it's Sherry Redstone or whether it's uh, an investor group that buys it, that the play ends up being taking something that's similar to what News Corp does, which is CBS broadcast and sports and news and puts it in, leaves it in its own corporation, maybe with some of the cable channels, maybe not. It's all to be determined. As a legacy business, it's not going to get anybody excited, but still can make a lot of money and has a lot of value. And take the rest of it, which is the studio and the intellectual property, and find a better buyer. Because I, I don't know what their predilections are and they their businesses like like as we speak uh everybody who's a prime member just got the email that said we're gonna which we talked about a few months ago that they're gonna put an ad tier by default and then you're gonna have to pay three dollars a month to not see ads on prime video so like who knows what amazon's strategy is they've had many they keep going through them spend a lot of money to find the next game of thrones then do an ad tier who knows what's next but i i just i keep feeling like amazon apple Netflix and and honestly you know maybe even Disney and Comcast look at the studio and the IP of Paramount Global and say well that's way more valuable if we don't have to take CBS too and and so my gut feeling is that's going to be the result is some CBS network and some stuff stays and that and then a lot of players can bid and in that scenario, I don't know. I kind of, I kind of want to say 
it'll be Amazon, Apple, or Netflix and not Warner Brothers Discovery or um, Comcast. But that's just a shot in the dark. What do you think? The more you've talked about it, the more I thought it was a very, very interesting argument. And it's something that... Or Zaz that... could just borrow $10 billion and be like, no, done. I'm like, okay, Zaz, good luck, right? I don't know. No, I, but I, I think out of all the networks, CBS really still has this hold on middle America. Yeah. It still generates strong ratings for what ratings are today considered strong. And if you look at what Fox did, right, like Fox, part of the deal with Disney was that Fox is going to continue buying the shows that Fox used to produce for its own network. So like The Simpsons is now owned by Disney, but it's still on Fox, right? The broadcast, what it does is it gives you, whoever you sell your studio to, kind of a ready-made, existing, paying partner who wants to buy your content. And that would happen with CBS. If CBS is severed from uh, Paramount and CBS Studios, if that happens, CBS still needs to fill a primetime schedule. And they might, you know, do more... Uh, reality content and stuff like that, which they le- already learned how to do um, during the the strike. But uh, they're also happy to buy NCIS from CBS Studios, even if it's a separate company, right? So like they they can still and, do that. And you can, but also like t- when you're talking about what CBS could do, they can just continue greenlighting the shows that make sense for them. They work with Dick Wolf. They work with whoever created NCIS. Yeah. <laughs> they work who I'm not totally unconvinced is not. Dick Wolf, uh, but but they continue doing that, and then they continue like licensing it out for to Netflix or whoever, where they know it's really valuable, and they continue with CBS uh, or sorry with the NFL. You know, there's the question of can that corporation continue to pay the NFL what it needs to in order to kind of continue airing it? And I suspect that what they could do is create a simulcast licensing situation where they say we only have CBS, but whoever ends up buying Paramount Plus, um, they might shut it down. But let's say it goes to WBD, they'll get the simulcast on um, uh, HBO Max. Str- it's the streaming rights that are currently in Paramount Plus where you get your local game. Right. Something and like so that. that. Yeah. So, so it's a that joint could- package basically right and that could change you could see how that would change. but i mean honestly it's not a it's not a bad idea and so if it comes true you've heard it here first oh, okay i like Just this we've that said one. that twice now i love this it is good i love it this episode of downstream is brought to you by factor this bustling holiday season you may be looking for nutritious flavorful meals to fuel you on jam-packed days factor is america's number one ready-to-eat de- meal delivery service it can help you eat well for breakfast lunch and dinner with chef prepared dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals that's three good things delivered straight to your door four good things you'll save time five eat well six stay on track with your healthy lifestyle seven while tackling all your holiday to-dos eight there's so many good things in this ad oh my god with factor you can cross meal prep off your list this holiday season and into January. They're fresh, never frozen meals already in two minutes. And you have more than 35 flavor packed options to choose from every week. They sent me a box of these meals. We put them in the refrigerator. My wife works at a library. She needs to get a lunch every day. I have our whole kitchen because I work at home, but she is going to her library. Uh, so she either has to bring food or, or go get. Well, guess what? She stole most of my factor meals. And I said, hey, those are for a podcast. They send those for me to try 
why are you stealing them? And she said, because they're really good. They are way better than any of these prepared meals that you just have to heat and eat that I have ever had. Which I said, okay, I'll allow you to steal them because that is one heck of an endorsement for Factor. It is. They're that good. You eat them and you're like, oh, I was expecting some sort of substandard food that was presented to me on a tray and reheated in a microwave for two minutes. Nope. It's actually really, really good quality. I, 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 that's all I can say. They absolutely, I, I wouldn't be able to say that uh, if it wasn't true. It was really true. And she's stealing my box meals. That's it. She steals them. My wife takes them away from me now. If you're looking for calorie conscious options over the holidays, don't skip on flavor. You can try delicious, dietitian approved calorie smart meals as well with around or less than 550 calories per serving. Or if you need an extra boost to support your wellness goals and you feel your best during the holidays, try Protein Plus meals, 30 grams of protein or more per serving. You can rest assured you're making a sustainable choice. Factor offset 100% of their delivery emissions to your door and source 100% renewable energy for their production sites and offices. Get Factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door, ready in just two minutes. No prep, no mess, and they're actually good so much that you might steal them from your spouse. Go to factormeals.com slash downstream50 and use the code downstream50 to get 50% off your first box. That's code downstream50 at factormeals.com slash downstream50 to get 50% off your first box. Thank you to Factor for supporting Downstream. All right, before we go for the year, um, and we'll be back in two weeks, but it's gone for the year. I want to really quickly go, you and me, we don't do this very much, but we're going to talk about the content. I know you were talking about this on uh, on Twitter. I saw it. So let's let's just say it, uh, one each from each of us. Do you have a favorite movie of the year? This one took me a long time because I feel like you get judged for nothing more on Twitter yeah, than your top 10 film list. Sure. But I think it was originally going to be the holdovers which i love is my number two but i think mine is godzilla minus one. Oh, i'm gonna go see that like tomorrow it's so, so good i, I so hope it, you love it it'll have to roll into next year uh i know it's really boring and yes i am a middle-aged dad but oppenheimer i i don't love a lot oh, of christopher love. nolan movies honestly i i'm kind of some of them hit with me and some of them miss with me but oppenheimer i thought was spectacular agreed um, do you have a favorite tv show of the year <laughs> It's 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 succession. It's I, I was gonna if I had to guess, that was gonna it's be it. my number it. two. Though was I think you should leave from Netflix, and they're two completely different shows. Um, but Succession. How about yours? I actually don't. Is it a Star Trek show? Yeah, you know, I I it's either The Bear or Strange New Worlds. Ah, oh, love The Bear. One one of those, and you can take your pick: the nerdy or the less nerdy. I keep telling people you should watch The Bear. If you if you haven't watched it yet. Um, it's not about a bear. There's no bear in it. Well, there's a bear in it, but it's like an imaginary mental bear. It's not a real bear, and it's only in one one shot. So don't worry about it. It's about a restaurant, and it's brilliant. And season two, it's like the rabbit and Donnie one. Darko. Exactly. It's not about the bear. And uh, you also did a, a favorite books. What, what would you say your favorite book that you read last? It doesn't have to be published then. Favorite book you I'm, read last year? I'm going to say three only because i i think all three are super important and i think people who listen to those podcasts will love it um the first one i've recommended i've i've bought for several people i've just handed it to them and been like you have to read this and then keep it on your desk heavily bookmarked it's called the subprime attention crisis advertising in the time bomb at the heart of the internet by tim wang it is one of the if you work in any form of media that is thinking about digital advertising and the flaws within digital advertising that holds up the 
basically state of the world. Because think about if Google or Facebook were to go bankrupt. Um, it, it's a harrowing read. It's so, so interesting. The data is incredible. It was published a couple of years ago. Um, number two is from published in like 1999 or 2000, but it still holds up. Um, it's called Otaku, Japan's Database Animals by Hiroki Azuma. Um, and it's just a really interesting look at kind of the culture of consumerism around otaku culture, which otaku has, means one thing, I think, in 1999. Today, I think we really refer to it as kind of obsessive um, fan culture. And so if – as someone like myself who spends a lot of time thinking about how to monetize fandom, very interesting read. And the last book is is an old book. From I think it was I think it was originally published in the eighties, but I could be wrong on that. Um, I read it for the first time. Um, Hiroshima by John Hersey is a difficult read. Mm. It's um, it 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 chronicles the lives of eight Hiroshima survivors or, or victims of the attack, but who survived, um, and kind of chronicles the first two months after the atomic bomb is dropped wow. on Hiroshima. I read it because um, I had seen Oppenheimer and I read the book about Oppenheimer and it, a great book, but I was like, I want to read more about Hiroshima. Yeah. And and this yeah. book was, was recommended to me. Um, and it really puts into perspective kind of the day-to-day humanity elements of of just a group of people who are you know were living life one way and are now living life a completely different way um it's it's very difficult to read it can be graphic at points but uh if you are at all interested in kind of the you know the, the humanity of war which is a terrible saying but um it's a really really intriguing and i think important read so yeah how about you nice. did you have a favorite book yeah, I'll, I'll. I have two favorite novels that I read last year. One is mm. called "The Mountain in the Sea" by Ray Naylor. Oh. It's a, uh, it's a book about what does it mean to be sentient and artificial intelligence, and can artificial intelligences truly be intelligent or not? It's about sort of ecological disaster as well, and oh yeah, it's about first contact with sentient octopuses who live That's in amazing. a particular part of the ocean near Vietnam. Um, but it's all connected thematically it's it's uh it blew me away and uh the other novel a more mainstream but actually i i i think a perfectly good sci-fi mystery that is more marketed as a mainstream story because they're afraid to frighten people off with the fact that it's set in the future Uh, it's called my murder and the elevator pitch it's by katie williams the elevator pitch is a woman is murdered um, but technology allows her to be resurrected, and she's told that she was murdered. And as she looks at the circumstances of her murder, she starts to question the official story. So the elevator pitch is really like she begins to investigate her own murder. Interesting. And it goes love. in a lot of places about identity and about how technology um, is unequally applied to people at different social levels um the future depiction is pretty good there's some weird virtual reality stuff that happens in it and video game culture stuff that happens in it um i don't know how she got away with it being marketed as a uh, mainstream book because it's it's actually a really good sci-fi you uh, think you think we'll get a a tv adaptation that one that one totally should be it would be a really great um tv show mini series um or movie uh so yeah either either one of those will do and that brings us to the end. We did it. We we recommended some things at the end, which I think is fun. 
People always ask. We don't talk about it a lot. We talk about it a little bit. That's okay. Well, Jason, I, I've got one last question for you oh, before yeah? we go. Okay. We are re- we're recording this question. on December twenty eighth. Uh huh. Um, the we have a long weekend coming up, and yep. I'm just curious. One, if you do New Year's resolutions, and if you do, two, what is your New Year New Year uh, resolution? I don't do New Year's resolutions, although wow. I honestly will admit that I've been influenced by my friends Mike Hurley and CGP Gray, who do a thing called themes. I which is like New Year's resolutions, but not specific. It's more like, here's a theme that's going to be kind of my watchword over the next year. And I'm going to, when I ever make a decision, I'm going to be like, how does this fit in what I'm trying to do with my theme? Which means that you can't like blow it on week one and say, oh, well, and then discard the resolution. It's more like, I'm going to try to live this way this year. I don't have a theme yet. I'm still sort of developing that. I've had themes in the past where it's been like trying to, trying to, uh, uh, hand off to, of de- like I had a year of delegation and a, a year of, you know, trying to pay attention to my time. That might be what it is this time is, is really just trying to get a better sense of, of how I use my time, not for a productivity sense, but almost more like giving myself credit for the, the, the work that I do that I don't give myself credit for. What I about you? Are that. you a, are you a resolution person? I, I tend to do kind of similar. I love the I love the term themes. I tend to do something similar. I think my one for this year that I've been saying over the last week for twenty twenty four will be um, to focus on self improvement and work on self discipline. And so the idea of not you know berating myself for not maybe achieving this thing I thought I had to achieve in this specific time frame, but focusing on how I can improve all aspects of my life from my career to my relationships to my 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 health both mentally and physically um and then you know on the self um kind of discipline tying in similarly but you know how can I be better about um you know maybe not having that extra glass of wine if I'm out you know how can I be better about um making sure that I'm enjoying my um, cookies and sweets in moderation a little bit. How can I be better about um, using my time, to your point, a little bit more wisely, not just at work, but with, with all aspects of life. So I think that's the theme I want to be working nice. on. I like yeah. it. Themes. Themes yes. are nice. Love themes. Um, I'll put a couple links in the show notes if people are interested in Mike and Gray and the concept of themes. They have a whole podcast episode about it every year and graded a video about it on his YouTube channel. So uh, people can check that out. And we'll be back in two weeks, but it will be a new year. If you do have a question for us, no letters this time, although we did get the, some good feedback in individual segments, um, downstreamfeedback.com. Love to your mothers. If you're not a Downstream Plus subscriber, this brings us to the end of the show. In the Downstream Plus version, we also discussed uh, Sports Corner, Mark Cuban, the whole RSN collapse, our predictions for 2024. They were all in there. Um, and uh, you can get that. Every other episode, most of the show is available just for supporters. To support us, go to downstream.plus. You'll get full versions of every episode, access to the Relay FM Discord, bonus shows from Relay FM, and more. You can find Director of Strategy Julia at parrotanalytics.com and puck.news. You can find me at sixcolors.com, and I appear on many other podcasts here at Relay FM and at theincomparable.com. And until next year, Julia, say goodbye. Have a happy new year, everyone. Jason, happy new year, my friend. Happy new year to you and to all the folks out there. We'll see you in 2024. Bye.